0: You're listening to the Sunday Messages podcast brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. My name is Sean. I get to hang out with you guys this morning. I get to help out around here on staff. I love what's going on at the church. I'm excited about the three services. I love the fall. Everything that's going on right now is really cool. I like the series we're in. We just started last week. If you were here or if you weren't, update you really quickly. A series on God's promises, basically his faithfulness when we're unfaithful, because that's just who he is. That's who his character. He can't deny that. And so we're in this promise series. Jose told us there's 3,000 promises in the Bible. And uh, he kind of joked around and said, I'm not going to go over all 3,000 of them today. And we kind of laughed because we didn't want to be here all day. And uh, So here's the good news, I don't know if you're good at math or not, but basically 52 weeks in a year, take off Easter and Christmas, 50 weeks, divided by 3,000, so we're looking at about 60 years worth of being in this sermon series, some of you bad news are not going to hear the end of the series, just letting you know now, Um, it's the reality of math, I'm sorry, it's how it works out. Some of you are going to be able to tell your kids, I was there when that series started. That was, uh, you know, I have no idea how long this series is going to last. I do know that if we're not around 60 years from now, it's going to be because we're with Jesus in the victory that he established for us. And that's what Jose taught last week was, right, victory. The first promise is this victory that we know we're going to have. And I love that promise. I'm thankful for it. It's the fall. I love football of all kinds. I well, the American kind anyway. Uh, just to clarify, I meant NFL, college, and high school football with the oblong ball. I love all kinds of that. And uh, man, Friday nights are fun watching. We have a son that plays football. As a dad, I will tell you that I have this anxiety and this excitement when I wake up on Friday mornings and it mixes together. And I don't know which is in greater proportion. On any given moment, it could be more anxiety or more excitement, but it's fun all day long. And then I get to go to the game and people are like, where do you sit? And I was like, I don't sit at a game. And they're like, well, where do you stand? And I'm like, well, at what moment are you asking? Because I stand all over the place. And uh, it's, I got all this emotion as they're, as they're playing football, as our kids are doing anything. We have the emotion, right? Well, the thing this year that's different is my older son is actually commentating on the game. He's doing color commentary on the, on the radio and on the television broadcast. So I go back on Sundays and it's fun. I just listen to what he had to say about his brother and make sure there's no sibling things I got to clean up at the end of the day. And uh, it's fun listening to him talk about football. The emotions and the feelings when I'm watching on Sunday are completely different than when I'm watching on Friday night because I already know the outcome. Now, don't get me wrong. I still yell at the TV some and tell them that was a dumb decision on the RPO and things like that. But it's not near the same anxiety and excitement. I have a peace because I know the outcome. That's what God does for us, you guys. There's victory, and because there's victory, we know that he's overcome the enemy and that we have eternal life with him. We, we can have peace in our times here on earth while we wait for that final victory. The challenge is stuff still happens to us in the meantime. Right. There's still things going on in that Genesis account. So we started way back at the beginning with that first promise. And we're going to keep kind of working our way through chronologically through the book of Genesis and some of those stories over the next few weeks. But man, early on after, after the promise, then Genesis three, we see the consequences, even though victory's promised, of living on earth, still continuing on in life based on the bad decisions and bad choices that Adam and Eve made. So in Genesis 3:1, it talks about the fact that, man, there's an enemy, there's a serpent that's out there that's very cunning and crafty, ready to, to take us, take life out of us, rob, kill, and destroy, and make things difficult for us. And then a little further down in, in Genesis 3, verses 16 and 17, it talks about some of the consequences of those choices that they made, uh, their bad choice. And it's things like they're going to have a lifetime of hard work. They're going to experience pain. They're going to ultimately experience death as a result and loss as a result. So that's in there. And then a little further on in Genesis 3, verses 23, it says that they're actually banished from the garden. So they're pushed out of this place that was safe, where relationships were intimate and connected. And now they're in a world where relationships are hard and difficult. We're, we're a result of all of that. We're living in all of that difficulty. So just because we know the outcome and we know victories ahead and God promised that, we also need a God who's going to make a way through the difficulty as we try to get there. And thankfully, that's the promise we're going to get to take a look at here this morning. Uh, Jesus goes ahead and clarifies this even further. This isn't one of the promises. I'm not counting it as that because it's not a promise you would want. Necessarily, but John 16 33, Jesus says this He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I personally am thankful to be following a God who went ahead and said up front, It's going to be hard. Now, because if your God says everything's going to be perfect and life is going to be smooth and you're going to just all walk around on roses, man, you're going to be disappointed pretty quickly. I love the honesty in this verse because it's the balance of it's going to be hard here, but I've overcome that in victory. Again, this morning, our focus is going to be on, man, the way that God helps us get through those difficult times and through those challenges because our memory verse, Jose said, anybody remember what it was? It's in in Timothy. It's one of those letters. He'll pop it up here on the screen in case you haven't memorized it yet. 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are unfaithful, God is faithful because he cannot deny who he is. All right, so God is going to remain faithful. How's he going to remain faithful to get us through the difficulty and the trials and the things that go on in our life? Bad things happen to good people. Why does the loving God allow that to happen? We just went over it because he created us in his image. And in his image, he has choice. He gave us choice. Unfortunately, we made bad choices. The consequences of those bad choices lead us into into difficult spots. An enemy that's trying to rob, kill, and destroy leads us into difficult spots. And living in a fallen world outside the garden, you guys, where death is a part of it, cancer is a part of it, accidents are a part of it, we're going to face trials. How do we get through those? Well, I think the first uh, covenant in the Bible that God has with Noah is gonna illuminate a little bit how God creates and makes a way for us. So if you've got your Bibles, you wanna turn to Genesis chapter six, we're gonna be kind of digging in there. They'll put the verses on the screen as well. I'm gonna read a lot of this from the Bible. I just remember, man, growing up and watching my dad read the Bible. And uh, so I look at the screen sometimes and I'll read some verses from there, but it's just, it's cool to, if you got something with you, read, read along. Genesis six, five. That's pretty significant in, a, in, I would say, a short period of time, a few lifetimes, but those guys were living a long time, like hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it was, it was a stretch of time. The world had become pretty corrupt and pretty wicked. There, there was murder. There was envy. There was, there was all kinds of sin, debauchery. You imagine it. God looked at it. He saw it, and he labeled it and named it for what it was. And he wanted to do something about it because he didn't create us in his image for us to live life that way. Now, while he looked down, he also saw in verses 8, 9, and 10 of the same chapter, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Get the contrast. The world is wicked, people are wicked. We still are. We still have sin and wickedness in our lives. But he looked down and there's Noah. And Noah had three things described in that simple little verse. I mean, take a look at that for just a second. First of all, he was righteous. That meant he did the right thing. What God commanded him to do, he did. He lived and made every decision correctly in accordance with God's plan and God's will and God's word. So so he's living that way. He's living righteously. Second, it says he was blameless. What that means is he was getting along with everybody. He was in harmony in relationship with everybody. No relational stress or strife anywhere. And then the third thing it says is that he was faithful, meaning his intimate connection and relationship with God was perfect. Now, that's an incredibly high standard. If if you have reached that standard, You do not need the rest of this message. I'm just letting you know. Feel free to start lunch early or come up here and teach us how you got there. The reality is, if you look at those three categories, we all fall a little short somewhere. And but for the grace of God, we would all get washed away in the flood that's about to happen. But he has a way. He makes a way. God promises to make a way. We'll take a look at it. Uh, As we continue on here, so in verse 11 of chapter Genesis 6, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth. They corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth, will perish. Building an ark. Remember this story from way back? He built this big boat. How big was the boat? Well, if you're a measurement scholar and you know how far cubits are, then you clearly already can tell us how big the boat was. I didn't know all of that, but it turns out there's this guy in Kentucky who decided to build exactly the boat like it is, right? It's the ark encounter. So I'm going to let you see it so you can see how big this boat really is that was built. Perfectly to scale. They're going to roll a little video to show you.
1: This is a life size Noah's Ark and it is huge. One and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, from ground level to the roof is seven stories high to the biggest timber frame structure in the world. Just about everyone around the earth has heard of Noah and the ark and and the flood. The fact that the Bible has this account, a man and his family built this great big wooden ship and all the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals were represented on this ship and the whole world was flooded, that account itself just fascinates children and adults alike. And so we decided to build a life-size Noah's ark based upon the dimensions in the Bible.
0: There you go. Football field and a half. If that still doesn't resonate with you, I can tell you that if you got the worst parking space in the parking lot out there, that would be one end of the boat, and where you're sitting would be the other end of the ark. That's how big it was, three stories high. Put it all in there. Continuing on through here, we'll skip down to verse 19 for a second. God says to Noah, you are to bring into the ark two of all the living Creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did that. He brought every animal together. He built the boat, got all the animals on there. I love a couple of other things worth touching on this little section. In verse 18, God says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. God made a way for Noah and his descendants to be rescued from the devastation that was about to come. That promise to him is a promise he makes to us as well. I like this last little just obedience in in. in Genesis six twenty two. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Pretty cool. So that's what Noah did. Built the boat. Got everybody together. The boat went. The flood. If you know the rest of the story, you can look verses in chapters seven and eight. Uh, the waters came. Forty days of flooding, day and night. The earth was filled with water. Everything perished. 150 more days they spent on the, on the boat waiting for the waters to recede, and then a little bit more time on the boat back and forth. Uh, so they used that ark for a while. And uh, a few important things to know about the ark itself. Not only just its size, but its symbolism. Right, The ark was the method of salvation. Just as in years later, Jesus became our method, our means of salvation. The ark floated Over the top of the water and all the wickedness was washed away. We're going to get to experience uh, baptism here in just a little bit and watch as some others are baptized as they go down in the wickedness, the evil, the sin is washed away and symbolically they come up to a new life. That's what Noah and his family got to experience. That majestic boat did an amazing thing to create a way for salvation. That's what Jesus does for us. Just to read a little further so we get to the covenant part of this, in Genesis 9, if you go all the way down to Genesis 9, verse 8, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the covenant that God makes. Jose talked about this idea of covenant, right? And that it is more than a contract. It's not time limited. It's, there's not a way out. A covenant is, is forever. A covenant is binding. This is the first covenant mentioned specifically in the Bible. And what it is, is a unilateral covenant. Some covenants are between, like the marriage covenant is between two people. God has some covenants with his people that both of us have to do something. In this case, God is just saying unilaterally, I will do this. I covenant to you, I will, I will do this. I will preserve the earth and I will protect it from here on out. It's a good covenant. We're, we're the recipients of that. We still get to live on this earth because of that. Um, he goes on in the next few verses to talk about the rainbow, right? And in the, in the fact that uh, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So as you see the rainbow, as you see the rainbow, other people are just, no, that's what it's about right there. It's about that idea of God creating covenant, with his people. That's where it originated. Pretty cool. So I've said that God will promise to make a way for us, but we really need to dig into that as we get toward the end of our our time together here, because I want you to understand this promise, because I don't know the extent to the difficulties that you're going through. I don't know what the consequences of the choices you've made are. Maybe they've led to addictions, or they've led to to hardship, or, or negativity, you know, In relationships, I don't know what other people have done to you. There are sinful, hurting people in the world that hurt us. And I don't know where you are in that. And I don't know what the enemy's doing to try to mess with you, what kind of loss you've experienced, or illness, or sickness, or death, or loss around you. Um, But I do know this God will make a way. Charles Spurgeon uh, said it this way He said, The Lord will make a way for you where no foot has gone before. That which, like a sea, threatens to drown you will be a highway for your escape. Man, he's going to make a way. It's probably going to be something you can't even imagine, but it'll be worth it. Isaiah 43 is a pretty good uh, chapter. If you really want to dig into this thought about God making a way for us, right? Um, It's a time in Israel's history where Isaiah is a prophet and he's letting them know, Hey, based on all the sin and the negative things that you guys are doing, the choices you've made, What's going to happen is your land's going to get taken from you. You're going to be pushed out, and you're actually going to be taken captive and into exile into a foreign country. And that's pretty scary and pretty devastating. And he says, But I need to let you know that God will not forsake you and he will make a way. So he says here at the start of Isaiah 43, but now this is what the Lord says: He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Man, I just, I want you to catch, I hope that you're making this applicable to your life in some way. I hope you're not experiencing difficulty or trauma. But if you are, or if you know somebody who is, I want you to pull a few things out of that verse. The first one is that God concludes by saying clearly who he is. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's powerful. That's who God is. And then up there a little bit before that, uh, he says this. He said, oh, go back just a little bit. Sorry. Up there at the top. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That's who you are. He's redeemed you. He's summoned you by name, and you are his. We know who God is. If we know who we are, then what he promises to do is get us through the floods, get us through the waters, get us through the fires. He will make a way that is his promise and he clearly states it a little further down in Isaiah 43 so verses 16 through 19 say it this way this is what the Lord says he who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and the horses the army and the reinforcements together and they lay there never to rise again extinguished snuffed out like a wick forget the former things that's kind of odd to me he just kind of gave him a big reminder of what happened in history and then he says, forget all about that forget the former things do not dwell in the past Say, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And that same promise is for us. God will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Think about those metaphors for just a second. The wilderness, man, the wilderness to me, what do you picture in your mind when you think of wilderness? kind of picture of forest and hills and I can't find my way out. I can't see my way out. It's pretty thick. And uh, man, he said, you know what he's going to do? He's going to make a way. And then a wasteland. I don't know which thing about wasteland. I'm so like, Wilderness seems like East Texas over there, you know, and then Wasteland seems like way west Texas, right? I mean, it's like pretty barren. There's no trees. There's no no water to be found. He said he's going to create streams for you. So metaphorically, whatever that means in your life, whatever place you feel stuck or trapped or lost or lonely, God's going to show up. And he's going to create a way through that. The psalmist just, they dig into this concept. And I think it is so significant for us to dig into They basically say over and over again in the Psalms, God's not going to fast forward you through some trouble. He's not frequently going to swoop in, pick you up, and launch you into some other place of health and healing. He's going to walk through the stuff with you. That's the kind of God that he is. You think, well, that's a stupid way to do being a God. I don't know, maybe it is. But let me put it in your terms. Try doing that as a parent. Try swooping in and removing the consequences from your kids' decisions and carrying them to some place of hell over and over and over again and see how your kids turn out. Probably not so well. One of the hardest things to do as a parent is to watch your kid hurting, but know they're there because of their choices and they've got to ride that out. You can stay with them. You can be present with them. You don't want to disengage from them, but you've got to let them walk that out. That's what God does with us. So Psalm 86, he says, or Psalm 84, sorry. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place for springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God. In Zion, the valley of Baca is uh, really the valley of suffering, valley of pain. When you go through those dark valleys in your life, he will be with you and he will make a way somewhere different. Psalm 23, a lot of you have memorized that back when you were memorizing things about Noah's Ark or learning that. Psalm 23 was one of the first ones, right? It actually says in there in verse 4, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not as we go over it, not as we go around it, as we go through it, man, he, his rod and his staff will comfort you. And then Psalm 138, similarly again, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. That's who God is, you guys. He's a way maker. When you feel lost, when you feel stuck, when you feel hurt, when those around you feel that way, there will be a way. Um, We've been there, like all of you have. We've been stuck. I remember 18 years ago, we lost a child and um, we were stuck in despair. Christina was crushed. Um, I was too, but I didn't know how to comfort her. And I, I was everything I had learned in psychology, every book I had read, everything I had figured out in the world on how to help people fell short of comforting her. And God, he made a way. And he brought this amazing comfort to Christina. And after a six-month period of depression, she bounced out of that with his help, with his healing. And uh, she came out and she said, hey, we need to have another child. And I was like, no chance, no chance. Uh, We have two, and that was the most painful experience of my life, I am not doing it again. And she said, yeah, God said we should have another child. Because God made a way through her pain, and because, Because he did, Um, I go watch football on Friday nights for a kid that wouldn't be here. Um, He will make a way. No matter how deep, how significant your pain is or the hurt, he will make a way. Jesus described himself this way, you guys. He is the salvation. He is the way. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is that for us. Jose said last week if you want to experience that victory now, then you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And I would tell you if you want to experience the way in the difficulties on the way to that victory, the answer is the same surrender your life to Jesus and let Him make a way for you. Uh, I was with these guys in Colorado a few weeks ago. There was this sage, this wise man, this mentor, and uh, I was listening to him and soaking up everything he said. And he told me that he disciples. He didn't say this in a bragging way. He did this in a weighty, like I'm responsible for this way. He said I disciple about two, uh, about a, between one and two thousand guys. And uh, he said I, I have to do it through text every morning. I read a verse and then I, I send that verse to these guys. And he said when I do, I, I do three things. First thing I do is I read the verse and I say, what does God want me to know based on what I'm reading? And the second thing he says is, who does God want me to be based on what I'm reading? And the third thing is, what does God want me to do based on what I'm reading? Those three things. So I've been trying to read a different verse every day and do that in my own life and think about those three questions. I'm just challenging you to do the same thing. When you read something or when you hear something, like today, when you hear a message like this, ask yourself those three questions. What does God want me to know based on this story of Noah and the promise that he's a way maker? Well, I think it could be something like it's on the screen or you may have your own thing that he wants you to know. I said he makes a way to him to God. He makes a way to him through salvation and he makes a way through trouble by staying with him. Well, who does he who does he want me to be based on this story of Noah and this promise that he's a way maker? Well, his child, he wants us to be his child on the boat, trusting he will find Away, we need to get on the boat, you guys, and trust. A lot of you got on the boat of salvation, and you've been there. But if you're like me, we get on the boat for that, but then we see things trouble coming and stuff, and we we hop off and we look at the world and we try to find other ways to soothe that place that's hurting inside us, rather than stay on the boat and surrender and trust. And then the third thing is, what does God want me to do based on this story and this passage? I think He wants us to get more people on the boat, you guys. I don't know. It says in there that kind of the animals came, but Noah had to go out and find some of them, right? It's like the aardvark's way over there. I got to go track that thing down. The sloth's taking way too long. He's going to get flooded out if somebody doesn't carry him. I mean, they had a lot to do. We need to gather people onto the boat. We got a great story. Life is hard, but we have the solution. We need to get more people on the boat, and then I think we need to live the triumphant life, pursuing those ideas. We won't get there but pursuing those idea of righteousness, blamelessness, and faithfulness like Noah did in his life. Interesting thing. I'll end with this. The boat, it describes a lot of how it was built, right? That's why how Mr. Ham got to, got to recreate it because the dimensions were there and the wood and the kind of wood and all the things were there. You know what wasn't on the boat that's on almost every other boat? There wasn't a rudder. There was no rudder on the boat. What that means is, God said, build a boat, and I'm going to take it where it needs to go. Because the rudder is what steers the boat. Let's get on the boat, and let's trust God to take us where we need to go. In his power, in his strength, in his infinite wisdom, surrender to that. Maybe the bravest, most courageous, most difficult thing that you ever do. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for a group of people willing to show up on a Sunday and listen to a message and sing some songs of worship and praise. And Lord, I just pray they experience you, your presence. If there are people here who who don't know you as Savior, who haven't really just bought into that plan, Lord, I pray that they don't just look at us goofballs on the boat and say, I don't wanna be like them. I pray they look at you. And I pray that they say, hey, I need you, Lord, as my Savior. And Lord, for those of us that have accepted that and prayed that prayer, I pray that we would be faithful. And I know that we can rest in the fact that even when we're not, you are faithful to make a way. We collectively surrender ourselves to your will. I thank you for the people that are going to come up here to the front and be available for prayer. And if somebody's sitting in a seat out there and they feel a tug from you to show up and get some prayer, for themselves or somebody else, I pray they would be willing and bold enough to do that. Lord, mostly, I'm just grateful that you love us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the Messages Weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.